Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Salini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining us this week, Draft Week. Please subscribe to Flight Deck. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or you can check us out on the ESPN New York app. We've got a great episode coming up, heavy into the draft, of course, in our Guest in the second segment is going to be ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller. You've seen him across TV a lot these last few weeks. He's got some real good in- intel. We're going to try to pry out of him on the Jets and what they might do with this first pick. As you know, the Jets have three of the first 43 picks. For now, chance one or two of those picks could be moving, and they just might be on the verge of making arguably the biggest trade in team history. So let's start right there with Aaron Rodgers. This will be the story of the draft. I've been saying it for weeks, and I'll say it again. I mean, I'm 99% sure this trade is going to happen. I think there's a very good chance that it happens just before or during the actual draft, starting on Thursday. It could go into Friday with the second round. It's, uh, you know, there's reportedly the teams are talking again. That story by NFL Network on Sunday, which is what you'd expect. I mean, there was a little bit of a silence. They talked at the league meetings last month. And now the deadline is coming. It's a soft deadline, the draft. It's not a hard deadline. And deadline spurs action in the NFL. We all know that. This has to get done. The Jets are desperate for a quarterback. And the Packers are desperate to get him off their roster. You know, contrary to some wild and frankly, irresponsible speculation. There are no other teams involved here. It's the Jets and the Packers. They're stuck with each other. They're going to have to figure it out, so get it done already. I think the compensation, from what I'm hearing, I think there's a good chance it'll be one of those second-round picks, either 42 or 43 on Friday, going to Green Bay. I don't think it'll be both second-rounders. I have heard in, in recent days that There's a chance the teams will flip first-rounders, 13 and 15. The Jets giving them 13 and dropping to 15 as part of the Rodgers package. When you look it up on the points value chart, that's the equivalent of like a high fourth-rounder. So obviously there would have to be more in the package to complete a deal. I don't know if that, I kind of doubt that'll be part of it, but maybe it's contingent on who's on the board. That could be very well part of these conversations between Joe Douglas and Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM. I also think the 24 pick will be key. You know, Green Bay reportedly looking for an unconditional one. And I just don't think the Jets are going to get that. And nor should they. The Jets are taking on a massive contract here. This is going to cost them $58 million in cash this year. Uh, According to his existing contract, it's only 15-8 on the cap. But it's a $58 million outlay for Woody Johnson. Green Bay gave him a terrible contract last year. They signed him to a three-year, $150 million extension, knowing that in a year they might want to be getting Jordan Love into the starting job. And so now they're going to have a, a miserable cap hit, all sorts of problems. So really, in a sense, the Jets are doing them a favor by taking Rodgers off their hands. And so that's why I think this is going to end up being more of a conditional pick maybe a conditional two and 24 that goes to a one if they make the playoffs. I think I also know that the Jets are looking for a a little bit of a give back in 25. 
Rodgers could call call this quits after one year. I mean, if he just gets tired of football or gets tired of the Jets and says, I'm done after the 23 season, I think the Jets want a little bit of protection on the back end to get back a draft pick in 25. So I could see that being part of it as well. I would think, I mean, logically, Green Bay has to be motivated to get this done before the draft. You want draft picks in 2023 to help your young quarterback, Jordan Love. If they let this go past the J- the draft, it's almost like you're wasting an opportunity to cash in on an asset, you know, and Rodgers still is an asset. You know, he didn't have a great year last year, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. So you would think that Green Bay would just want to get it done with and move on. For the Jets, for the same reasons, although maybe not the greatest sense of urgency, they could let this go into the summertime. I mean, in theory, I mean, chances are Rodgers probably wouldn't show up for many workouts anyway, which I think is a mistake, and we'll get into that more in another podcast. But uh, so the Jets could let this go to training camp. But again, it's the stress. It's the headache. It's the distraction. It's Sala being asked every day in OTAs, you know, where's Rodgers? So for all parties, it pays to get this done. And we know Rodgers still wants to be with the Jets. Uh, He's been texting players. He's been recruiting players to free agency, as uh, Calais Campbell uh, said publicly on on Josina Anderson's podcast. And so that I found interesting. So he still seems invested in the Jets. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. So now it's up to the two teams to just get it done. Let's talk about the draft. Talked to a number of personnel people and scouts over the last couple of weeks. This is not a great draft. I mean, just generally speaking, the overall talent in this draft is not good. I think uh, that's a, a pretty strong consensus. Could the Jets trade up from 13? I think that is unlikely. I look at what's available or what could be available to trade up for. I only see three players that would intrigue the Jets. And that's Will Anderson Jr., the edge player from Alabama, Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, Georgia, and Tyree Wilson, the defensive end from Texas Tech. Other than those three guys, I I don't know what the Jets would trade up for. I mean, there are two very good corners in the draft, but we know that's the Jets, arguably their strongest position. So I do not see them trading up. I do think, and this is what I've heard through the grapevine, they are interested in moving back. I think they are motivated to do that to pick up some extra picks. So don't be surprised if they drop from 13 to 16 or 17, something like that, to pick up some extra picks if their guy they want is not there. Joe Douglas has traded down, but has never done it in the first round. He's traded down in the second round and other rounds, never in the first round. There's a first for everything. I think with 13, look, We're not breaking news here. Everyone knows the Jets are looking for an offensive tackle. It's widely known throughout the league. I think the two guys they would be very happy with at 13 are Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State and Broderick Jones from Georgia. They are probably the best pure left tackle prospects in this draft. Now, neither of these guys is, is on par with a Jonathan Ogden or one of those type of super blue chips, but they are good players and they'll probably be drafted right in that 9 to 13 range. I think one or both could be gone by the time the Jets pick at 13. Uh, you know, Jets probably keeping their fingers crossed because you got three teams with Chicago at 9, Philly at 10, and Tennessee at 11, all possibly looking offensive tackle. 
So that's kind of the sweet spot in this draft. The Jets, of course, then you got uh, Houston at 12. They will not take an offensive tackle. And then you have the Jets. So worst case scenario, each of those teams takes a tackle, and then the Jets are really looking at their, their fourth offensive lineman on their board probably, and that wouldn't be a good thing. So Chicago's the key. A lot of people have them attached or linked to Peter Skaronsky, the guard from Northwestern. Some people think he can play tackle. A lot of people think he's a better guard. That would be interesting. If Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones are gone and the Jets are looking at Skaronsky, that would be an interesting call. He's got short arms. He's got 32-and-a-half-inch arms. Joe Douglas is a guy who has certain standards at each position. I mean, when they drafted Elijah Vera Tucker a couple of years ago, he had virtually the same height, weight, and arm length as Skaronsky, and the Jets moved him to guard. And they still believe he's going to be an all-star guard. So uh, that's why I tend to think they might not go Skaronsky at 13, simply because they don't need a guard. If they think he can play right tackle for a year and then maybe slide into one of the guard spots, in a year from now, then yeah, they could justify it. He's a clean player. He's a three-year starter. He's got excellent technique, really good footwork. He's everything you want in a football player, except his arms are just a couple of inches shorter than you would like. So that that's a real interesting one. I think Paris Johnson's the guy the Jets won. He's left tackle. He played right guard. Very high character player. Great kid from what I've been told from scouts. He could speak a little Mandarin Chinese. He actually started his own foundation in high school to help disabled veterans. He grew up in the Cincinnati area. Uh, so a high floor, you know, maybe not a, as high a ceiling as, say, a Broderick Jones, but he's got a high floor. He could probably play right tackle for a year if he had to move to left side. He's got to develop his strength a little bit, lacking a little bit in that area, but he's a real good player. And uh, I, I think he's the Jets guy. But like I said, I think they'd be very happy with Broderick Jones. He's only got 19 starts at Georgia, and they were all at left tackle. Did not allow a sack last year. That's saying something in the SEC. His best football's ahead of him. That's what a number of scouts have told me. He's a former basketball player. Usually those are finesse type of guys. He's not a finesse guy. He is physical in the running game, probably more physical than Paris Johnson. The thing with Jones, of course, is it just needs some technique work. He's he's inexperienced, only really one and a quarter years as a starter. So maybe a little further down the road before he reaches his potential. But like I said, he and Johnson are, I believe, the Jets guys. The really interesting one is, you know, Darnell Wright, Tennessee, basically an underachiever for three years, played some left tackle, did not play well for three years. Some scouts told me. He was like a late-round guy coming into this season, had a really good year, did not allow a sack. Now, was that because of uh, newfound maturity, or was the switch to right tackle kind of what made the light go on for him? That's what teams are going to have to answer. That's what they've been asking themselves. He's probably a right tackle in the NFL. Some teams even think he could kick into guard. Probably won't see him as a left tackle in his future, uh, even though he moves well, he's kind of a masher, uh, needs a little work on his footwork, so that's why teams see him as a right tackle. Look, there's nothing wrong with drafting a right tackle at 13. Uh, need I remind you of Tristan Wirfs? The Buccaneers in 2020 traded up 
I think, one spot to get Tristan Wirfs at 13 after the Jets had just taken Makai Becton. Tristan Wirfs steps in, plays every snap as a rookie. He's all rookie. And next year, he's, he's an all-pro, and uh, they'll never look back. They got a, a starter for a decade there in Tampa. So if the Jets believe Darnell Wright can be that guy, so yeah, possibly they go with him uh, at 13. Like I said, kind of an enigma, some question about his work ethic, but he played great against Alabama and Georgia, the two best teams on their schedule. So could there be a wild card? Well, there's always that possibility. We know Joe Douglas will not reach for a need. He's the best player available guy. So yeah, three wild cards to watch out for. Nolan Smith, uh, linebacker slash defensive end from Georgia, 6'2", 239. He is undersized as a 4'3 defensive end. He's better in a 3'4", but he's got rare speed. He's ran under 4'4 at the combine. He's a great leader. He's got a motor. He's vocal. He's everything you want in a player. I had one scout tell me he's a poor man's Von Miller. Could he fit? With the Jets, you know, ideally not a, as a defensive end, but Salah comes from a, a coaching tree that uses the Leo position. That is a stand-up, weak-side defensive end. And not many people realize this, but they actually used Jermaine Johnson in that position last year. He was a stand-up linebacker for about 100 snaps, uh, like a stand-up defensive end slash linebacker. So Salah can use that. Sala was on the 2012 coaching staff in Seattle, where that year they drafted 15th overall Bruce Irvin, who was only 6'3", 250, and they drafted him specific, specifically for that Leo position. Could that be Nolan Smith? Personally, I think he'll be off the board. I think he could go as high as 8 to Atlanta. But if there's a run on offensive tackles and somehow Nolan Smith is sitting there at 13, don't be surprised. Also, another wild card could be Dalton Kincaid, the, ta- uh, the tight end from Utah. He's not really a blocking tight end. He doesn't block at all. Uh, he's more like a, a Kelsey, not, not really a Kittle. Kittle can block. Everybody's looking for the Kelsey player, right? They, they're rare. They're very rare. He's a seam-stretching tight end. He can get downfield. He can move. He can flex. He can do all those things. Uh I think the Jets are okay at tight end with uh, Conklin and Uzama. And this year we get to see what we they got in Jeremy Rucker. But, you know, Nathaniel Hackett came in, you know, those weren't his tight ends, and he's got a lot of say in this offense right now. And, and if he thinks he needs a guy who can get downfield and make explosive plays in the passing game, maybe they look at a Dalton Kincaid. I'd be surprised if they took him at 13. But if they trade down, that's something you have to watch out for. I do know. They're trying to add another playmaker, Josh Downs, wide receiver in North Carolina, something to watch for in the second round. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture, a lot of buzz about Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver Ohio State. Supposedly, the Jets have done a lot of work on him, possibility at 13. I would not buy that. I would be very, very surprised if the Jets drafted Smith and Jigba at 13. First of all, this is not a great year for wide receivers. The Jets cashed in last year with Garrett Wilson, his former teammate at Ohio State. This year, Njigba is not the same player as Garrett Wilson. He he doesn't run great. He ran like a 4-5-2, so he's got basically average speed. He plays the slot, and he's had a, you know, a history of hamstring issues. So 
I do not see, I'd be shocked if the Jets took Smith and Jigba at 13. I do not believe that is happening. And so, like I said, I've been doing a lot of mock drafts for radio stations and websites, and, and it usually comes down for me for Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones, depending on who goes in the first 12. I feel safe in saying that right now, that it'll be one of those two guys. If that falls apart, then uh, the Jets could look to move back. I really do. I think they could look to move back rather than going with a Darnell Wright or a Peter Skronsky. But the great thing is, this is reality TV at its best, and we will find out on Thursday night. And now we're going to dive deep into the draft with ESPN draft analyst Matt Miller. And the thing I like about Matt, other than his mocks, he talks to a lot of scouting sources, so he's just not making the stuff up and throwing it out there. I know he's he's well embedded with guys around the league, goes to all the all-star games, and uh, that's why we appreciate his insight so much. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to join us. Absolutely, and what a what a kind of intro. I don't know that that can be topped. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's that. true, though. I mean, you're digging in. Uh, I saw your seven-round mock draft. I, I encourage everyone to read it. It's on ESPN+. Plus and Seven rounds, 259 picks. How long does it take to do something like that? <laughs> Here's the funny thing. it takes So it takes about a day to map out the picks. It's such a task of being organized, you know, because you don't want to, you don't want to have a player drafted twice. You don't want to forget a player. You don't want to have one team draft like three running backs. So it's just, it's a monumental task of organization, but it's also... I got through it about, I was in about the, you know, the middle of the third round and realized I didn't like it. And so I deleted the whole thing and started it over. And that's what, that's what gets you is when you, you feel like you, you had it going and you were cooking, you're making picks and then you change your mind about something. And if you change something in the first round, it affects rounds two, three, so on and so forth. So I think I deleted it and started over a couple of times or, and, and you'll appreciate this. Sometimes information comes in like up to the point that you're, you got to hand the thing in. You got to give it to the editors in advance. Yeah. So sometimes information's coming in fast and furious. And eventually you just kind of make your bed with it. You just say, all right, it, it what's done is done. And if anything needs changed, I'll, I'll post an update. There have been years, you know, like you get information like the day before of the draft, you know, t- you know, teams are tweaking stuff or we're just hearing stuff for the first time. So you know, you're you're kind of locked in. At least I can I can fudge it and put out my mock draft. You know, on Twitter like the day of the draft, which is kind of really no fair. It's kind of cheating when you put it out right before the draft. You have to send it. I'm sure they asked for that a couple of days ago. So, so let's let's jump right into the Jets at 13. You have them taking Paris Johnson, the tackle from Ohio State, and really interesting development in your draft. You had all four of the top offensive linemen still on the board. And what do you like about? Paris to the Jets and how did it come to be that all four were still there yeah I think I don't think that we will see all four there Thursday night uh, the the premium position that offensive tackle is and this being a weak offensive tackle class I think someone will move up I did a mock draft with no trades just because I felt like trades are sometimes self-serving you know if you have one team come up it really benefits that team so it's not always super realistic so um I love Paris Johnson's patience and his poise though um you're moving from right guard to left tackle which was where he played to high school he was a five-star recruit moving out to left tackle this year uh really really boosted his stock and he's just 
again, the length is there, the, the agility is there. I think you can, you know, stand to get a little bit stronger. But of the tackles in this class, I think he is the one that could step in right away as a left tackle and be really good. I mean, he got he got tested very well in the Big Ten. He only gave up two sacks last year, one to Michigan, one to Georgia. So he's just been super consistent. But I think there's still upside there because he is a one-year player at the position. So you've got you've got some time there for him to, you know, just figure things out as he gets a little bit more reps and experience. But I'm a, a big believer in his ability to just plug and play at left tackle. What is it that distinguishes him from Broderick Jones? Because, you know, some draft analysts have Jones ahead of Paris. It's almost like a yeah. 50-50. What do you think uh, distinguishes the two? I have them tied, so I'm right there with you. I think, and they're, I think that they're both great players. They're just very, very, very different. Um, I think Broderick is much meaner in the run game. I think he physically dominates people at the point of attack, even though they're about the same size. I mean, I think Joe, I think Johnson was three thirteen, Jones was three eleven at the combine. So really similarly built guys, but I think Jones plays a little more angry. He plays a little more violent, um, and. Similarly, you know, they're both pretty inexperienced. Just one full year as a starter at left tackle. Um, I don't know that Jones always uses his length that well. He has very long arms. I think they're almost 35 inches long at the combine, but it doesn't always show up that way. So I think that's the thing that he's got to work on is, you know, improving that. Um, and, and then also he just hasn't had a ton of experience. So um, I wouldn't say that he is as plug and play ready, but he might have a higher ceiling because of, you know, the athletic profile running a sub 540 and what he's able to do on the move. One of the thoughts surrounding the Jets is that they might draft someone to play right tackle because they have Dwayne Brown and there's a chance they might move Makai Becton back to left tackle where he might end up being a backup. You know, he really hasn't yeah. played much in two years. Do of these top guys, I mean, Darnell Wright is the right tackle, right? Better this group. He's the, yeah. he's the uh, slam dunk right tackle. But does he have to put flexibility to maybe go into left tackle long term or is he strictly a right tackle well he's played left tackle um he, he played left tackle for the entire 2011 uh, 2021 excuse me season for Tennessee I thought he was and it's hard to say right it's really hard to say because what I was gonna say is he was so much better at right tackle in 2022 I don't know if that's because he made the position change or because he was a senior and he had just started to figure things out so we've seen him play. I mean, he's played right tackle, right guard, left tackle, and then went back to right tackle. So, um, you know, he's been good everywhere he's at. I think the biggest thing is he's a big guy. I mean, he's a heavy dude, you know, 330 plus pounds. Um, I think that shows up sometimes to where I don't know that I would want him out in space as a left tackle as much. Excuse me. I know some teams even see him as a guard because of that size. So, uh, like you said, given what you have there with, with Dwayne Brown, with Mekhi Becton, I feel like if you draft Darnell Wright, you got to keep him on the right side, which is, I know we get confusing, right? Darnell Wright, who's a right tackle, he's saying the same part over and over again. But yeah. uh, to me, he's he's a guy that stays on that side. Now, to me, the really interesting guy is Peter Skoronsky from Northwestern because he's obviously a very accomplished player, three-year starter at left tackle. From all indications, a really polished player, a great technician. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not the longest guy in the world, and his arms are a little under 33 inches. From talking to your scouting sources, how would you, how many are saying tackle for him? How many say guard for him in the NFL? What What's the breakdown? Most are saying guard. I would say seven, 
out of 10 are saying guard and that he'll be a really, really good one. But I did have someone mention that, you know, there have been teams that have had success with shorter armed left tackles. I think Isaiah Wynn, who was with the Patriots, got mentioned as one. Someone mentioned uh, Deion Dawkins with the Bills uh, as another of these guys who aren't aren't super tall, aren't super long, and they've been good left tackles in the NFL. So watching Skrowski play, I mean, to come in and replace uh, to replace Rashawn Slater, and there was no drop off. I think says a lot about his play, what he did the last three years. Um, so it, unlike, I mean, Deion Dawkins has like thirty five inch arms. So the difference there is that it's not just height. Arm length is kind of Deion's difference, but I think Skrowski makes up for the lack of length with his footwork. And I would I would rather have a left tackle with thirty three inch arms or thirty two inch arms, but great feet as opposed to a guy who had terrible feet but 35-inch arms. So I think you can make up for that lack of length. Like we talked about Broderick Jones, he has long arms, doesn't always play with them. So uh, I think that's where Skrowski could help himself. And, uh, you know, in a in the right scheme, you know, ball's coming out fast. I don't know that that would necessarily hurt what he's able to do trait-wise. You know, it'll be interesting. So say Paris Johnson's gone, say Broderick Jones is gone, and the Jets are staring at Skrowski and Darnell Wright. That would be a really interesting decision for the Jets. You know, I, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they look to trade down in that scenario. Uh, you know, Joe Douglas, he's never traded down in the first round before. He's usually trading up in the first round. But if it comes down to that scenario, or did you see another wild card coming into play? Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba or or, uh, or Dalton Kincaid. Can you see any wild cards there if the tackle market kind of crashes on the Jets? I had heard that they did a lot of work on Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I kind of just tossed it away. You know, I was like, okay, they've done a lot of work on it, but I think this was around the time we thought Odell Beckham Jr. was going there. So I didn't, you know, you don't put a lot of stock into it, but it's funny you mentioned that name because I have heard they did a lot of work on him. Um, I, yeah, I mean, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer at tight end are both a lot of fun. Uh, they're going to, I think rare, they're the rare tight end prospects that could immediately upgrade this team. Uh, it's too early for a center, unfortunately, because I do think center is a big need for this team, which kind of goes to the question of, you know, a, a player of Peter Skronsky's size. We've seen teams say to those guys before, like, hey, we're going to kick you inside. Cody Whitehair, when he was at Kansas State, was a left tackle. The Chicago Bears moved him to center. So it it has happened before where you could do that. So it, you know, pick 13 is probably rich for that. You, you would want to trade down, I think, in that scenario. But if you if you get stuck at 13 with no tackles on the board, if Jackson Smith the Jig was there, that's a slam dunk for me. He's my number five overall player. I think he's fantastic. He's a great route runner. And his own Brian Hartline, his coach in Ohio State, said he's a better prospect than Garrett Wilson, who was a thousand yard receiver last year. So I think there's definitely they could have a lot of fun playing together again. But is he fast enough? I mean, the year in Smith and Jigba, you know, what, what do he run like a four-five-two or something like that? The combine, he's he's a, a slot receiver, basically. He's a slot receiver. That's the only place he's played in Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. slot. I think so. My thing would be, um, can he play on the outside? Uh, is it one of those things where he hasn't been asked to do it, or is it that he can't do it? What I love about him is he's not. He doesn't have great long speed, but he's short area quickness and burst are exceptional at his uh short shuttle was sub four seconds his three cone was like six five six five five something like that which are like julian edelman had similar numbers in terms of short area quickness and i love he dropped five passes in college and they threw him the ball a ton he got 95 passes last year he only dropped five so i love that he's got great hands he's a great route runner 
he's not your you know vertical stretch guy. That's uh, yeah, me Cole Hardman to kind of do that, fill that role. But I think just as a route runner, as a possession guy, he's he's the best in this class. Well, they do need a slot receiver because they traded Elijah Moore. So, and you know, they're saying that McCall Hardman can play the slot, but I think they almost think of him as more of a gadget guy. You know, yeah, bubble screens and jet sweeps, and you know, an occasional you know deep ball. So, from a scheme standpoint, Smith and Jigbo would be actually a pretty good fit for them, and I'm sure Garrett Wilson would endorse that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. They've had luck. If the Jets draft the tight end, if they draft Dalton Hilly, uh, Dalton Kincaid at 13, Matt, I think you're going to see like a, a uh, like a uh, rebellion among Jet fans in Kansas City in the crowd. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that would be a popular pick. <laughs> but you know, second round maybe. Now you did mention center, and in your mock draft, you have them taking uh, a John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota at at their first second round pick. What and also Joe Tipman still on the board. But you took uh, John Michael over him. Why? Uh, why him over Tipman? So I actually have Schmitz rated just slightly ahead of Tipman. Uh, so that's why I went that route. Uh, and it does it does mesh with some of the things I've heard uh, coming out of front offices is that yeah, Schmitz might he might be a little bit higher, especially on teams that are running more of the Shanahan system because of his movement in space. Where Tipman is six six three fifteen. You know, he's this massive center prospect. And Schmitz is, you know, 6'3", 300 pounds. It's more about mobility for him. He had such a great senior bowl week. I can't get that out of my head of just watching him flow to the second level with accuracy. I mean, for to be on the move and hit a 225-pound linebacker with power and accuracy, it was, it was fantastic watching him do that. And I think, you know, there's going to be comparisons made to some really good NFL centers when it comes to what Schmitz is able to do. I compared him to Creed Humphrey. Um, because he's so good in space. Uh, Creed's a little bigger, but he's just, he's so good in space and he's so violent at the point of attack that I think in this particular offensive system, I prefer him to Tipman. And I think it's a lock that the Jets are going to draft the center. They they have not re-signed Connor McGovern. They did bring in Wes Schweitzer from Washington, but really a low-cost addition. I think they're counting on getting one of these centers probably in that second round. They haven't had a good center since Nick Mangle. You know, they had, they were spoiled for a long time. They had Kevin Moore, oh, yeah. Mangle for about 20 years, and they got him spoiled. And since then, they've been struggling to find a guy. But Schmitz, he's very experienced, too. Isn't he like a three- or four-year starter at Minnesota? Yeah, he, well, he's he been there like six years because he redshirted. And then, COVID. Uh, yeah, he's, he's 24, so he's a little bit older. 24 is usually kind of the line that you draw on the sand. But this year... You got to throw that out because the COVID year and, and the fact that most people who weren't going to be first round picks stayed in college. So, but I like the experience because he has, I think he started 35 games in college. So tons of experience. And I, like we talked about with, you know, with Paris Johnson, just plug and play. He's ready to go. Just hand him the job and, and let him get used to snapping to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Which actually a uh, great segue, man, right into your next, because the, the next pick you have the jets trading that one to green Bay for the aforementioned Rodgers. Um, I think we all expect that to happen. And you had that mocked into your draft. And uh, I think your prediction was a two this year and then a one next year. Is that what you... That, that was the prediction. I figured that both teams have just backed into their respective corners at this point. We just got to get this thing done. So I think there will maybe be some give and take. It might be a conditional 2024 yeah. pick. I think that would be smart for both teams. But 
somebody's eventually got to step in and say, guys, this has to get done. It's, both teams need it to get done. The Packers need the picks. The Jets need the quarterback. Let's just make it happen. Yeah, please. Let, let's have, We've been waiting for like six or seven weeks now. It's, lo- it's long enough. Uh, right. Before we let you go, I want to take a quick look back. This fascinates me. Zach Wilson. I know, I know we talked a couple of years ago uh, on Zach. Where did you have him rated, and what are your thoughts on just the way things have transpired for him the last two years? Yeah, it's been surprising uh, to, I think, to see how quickly you know things fell apart for him. Uh, I had him rated. I'm trying to pull that up. I had him as my QB three that year, maybe tied for QB four. You, you had Fields um, ahead of him, didn't you? Fields ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I had I had Lawrence. And then Fields, and then I think Zach was next with Trey Lance, uh, right there with him, like kind of a similar grade. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised at, at how quickly things have gone downhill. But I, I mean, you could see some of these. I think you could have seen some of these things coming. It like with the gifts of hindsight, you could say, oh man, yeah, okay, some of that prickliness, you know, was there in college, and you heard about it. But the I think we all got wowed by the hero ball that was my thing with him i would always say like he just throws an effort ball basically and like lets this guy make a play um and that chip on his shoulder really worked in college um so i don't i wouldn't say that i was his biggest fan um once we knew he was going to go too, you try to like rally your mind around it like okay well maybe this could work you know maybe this is different and i i think for me especially you know i was so incredibly wrong about patrick mahomes and it was like, well, the game changed, you know, because of what Mahomes could do. And I said, like, well, maybe, maybe Zach Wilson will be that, you know, similar type guy that the mechanics don't look right. And you don't always love the decision-making, but maybe it works, you know, maybe there's a way that this actually works for him. That's the beauty of this whole business is there's, there's no way of knowing for sure. You know, it's such an inexact science. Yeah. I remember Top Bowles used to call it an educated crapshoot. And that's, uh, that's kind of what it is. But it's you know Todd didn't have any many wins you know wins wisdom type quotes in his time with the Jets, but that was one that I remembered. Um, and the funny thing is, Sanford, I'm not San Francisco. Houston is in the exact same position now, picking second, needing a quarterback, yeah. new coach, San Francisco background, and they're sitting there. And it sounds like they might not take the quarterback, which I think if you gave some Jet people some truth serum now, they probably wish they would have done. A couple. Of oh years yeah, ago. yeah. But I mean, you had you had them not going quarterback at two, right? I did. I had them take Will Anderson, which yeah. uh, I would probably, I might want to change that by Thursday. But um, you mentioned, you know, uh, so much of this job is talking to people around the league. I can't find one source who says Houston's taking a quarterback. That doesn't mean they won't. Nick Casario, uh, I think he cleaned the building out of some of the people who talked there, so it does make it a little bit harder to find someone who really is in the know about what's happening, but. Um, I would I would be surprised right now, which I that is what makes the draft fun. It's the best reality show on TV because we we genuinely have no idea what's going to happen as early as pick number two. Uh, you know, I would say from that Jets lesson, it's funny to look back now and think about you know Zach Wilson. One of the biggest knocks was an undersized quarterback with a lot of injuries in his past, and take away the you know personality stuff. What he struggled with the NFL's injury, so I think that's something that you know you have to look at. Of okay. Uh, what are the flaws and can those be corrected or at some point can you coach around them can you scheme around them or sometimes like is this just what you're getting is you know the, the film is the film so i think for for houston that is a it's a tough decision especially when you like you said you have a new head coach you've got that 49ers background where they've 
won a ton of games without, you know, mm. early round draft picks at quarterback. So I, I think that's going to be fascinating. Who wins? Does the owner come in and say, no, take, we're taking CJ Stroud? Does the coach win out and say the scheme doesn't need uh, CJ Stroud? Davis Mills will do just fine. I, I really, truly can't wait. Uh, I hope we don't find out between now and Thursday night yeah. where they're going to draft so that we get that excitement. Yeah, that'll be drama. That'll be, uh, like you said, in real time. It's playing out before our eyes. And and maybe there's a chance the Aaron Rodgers scenario plays out on the clock as well. I happen to think they probably would be able to get something done before they actually go on the clock. But um, a lot of a lot of drama. That's what makes the NFL of you know draft the, the greatest. And and we really appreciate him, Matt Miller. You know, you do such a great job, and uh, the folks will be able to see a lot of you and hear a lot of you. On for the entire draft weekend. I know this is your Super Bowl. Uh, enjoy Kansas City. And uh, as always, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Rich. Uh, good luck to all the Jets fans. Hopefully everybody likes their Christmas presents when they wake up on Sunday morning. All right. We'll see you about that. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. We've got a ton of questions. I appreciate them all. I'm going to go rapid fire to try to get to as many draft questions as I can. We're going to start it off here with uh, Big Dogs. Big Dogs 13-18 is Jalen Carter on the Jets draft board. Big uh, risky player, arguably the best player in the draft in terms of sheer talent, uh, but a risk. We all know about the arrest with the tragedy uh, after the Georgia season. Uh, I've also heard from scouts that they can't get the Georgia coaching staff to say a lot of positive things about Jalen Carter. What does that tell you? You know, he supposedly takes some plays off, questions about whether he loves football. You know, these are things you not want to hear, but you also hear stuff like from Daniel Jeremiah, you know, a very well-respected analyst from the NFL Network who said Jalen Carter's got more talent coming out than Quinn and Williams did a few years ago. And so that tells you how talented he is. It's a need position for the Jets. If he's there at 13, which I don't think he will be, but if he's there, I think the Jets would take him. At Matt Romano 19, do you believe this coaching staff is open to the idea of Zach Wilson developing into a starting quarterback for the Jets? Will being a backup provide enough opportunity to do so? Well, they hope he doesn't play because that would mean something's terribly wrong with Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, this is an interesting one. The Jets honestly believe that Zach Wilson can be a starter for them in a year or two. I don't see it happening. They believe that. They think taking a step back for a year or so will help him. They're doing it backwards. Maybe they should have done that at the beginning of his career before throwing him into the fire. Uh, a year from now, if they decide after watching him as a backup that he's not their guy anymore, then they're in a world of trouble because they won't have the draft capital to trade up for a good quarterback, and it's going to be a good quarterback class next year because presumably they're going to be sending a high pick to Green Bay for Rodgers. And if they're picking high to get a quarterback, there's going to be a new staff in place anyway because all these guys are going to be fired. So it's a really risky thing what they're doing uh, with Zach Wilson. I But I truly believe they are not willing to pull the plug. They want to see what they can do with this guy before calling it quits. I wonder if that's just uh, stubbornness or the belief that maybe he can do it. I don't know. At Caesar Sala NYAG, I love that handle, by the way. And the question is, is there any chance that the Jets pick up Mekhi Becton's fifth-year option? 
Uh, I do not see that as a, a possibility. It's 13.6 million fully guaranteed. I do not. It's too much of a risk. That has to be done in a couple of weeks by May 1st or May 2nd, I believe. They don't even know if he can get on the field this year. So too much of a risk. You can't do that. Let him play out the last year of his contract. If he stays healthy and plays great, then that's terrific. You try to sign him before he hits free agency. And by the way, he does want to play left tackle. He got switched to the right side last year. I think he wants to move back to the left side. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I do not believe he will start for this coaching staff. Uh, I think the if he's healthy and if he has a good training camp, I think there's a chance they could uh, trade him in the preseason, assuming they draft the left tackle and still have Dwayne Brown on the roster. At Dr. Adolph Soto, if you flip first-round picks for Green Bay, do you reach for a safety branch or the center? John Michael Schmitz. No, you don't do that. You don't You don't reach for branch at 15. We know how the Jets feel about safeties. They do not put a high value on them. Uh, John Michael Schmitz, I could definitely see the Jets drafting him. Could they do it at 15? Oh, that's kind of early for a center. I guess maybe they could talk themselves into that, but... That would still surprise me as well. I think he's a legit second-round possibility. Next, at Melfa Sohn, uh, M-L-F-A-L Sohn. Sorry about that, Marco. I'm botching that. Why did the Jets restructure Tomlinson's deal after a so-so 2022? It seems like they're locked into him through 24. I know they needed cap room. Seems like we should have done something with Lawson and Corey Davis. You're right, Marco. So... They're not locked into Lake and Tomlinson through 24, but if they cut him after the 23 season, they're going to get hit with $11 million. That's that's tough. That's tough to swallow. Uh, Lawson and Davis entering the final year of their deals. I think there's a chance of pay cuts, uh, especially in the with Corey Davis. If he's not a starting receiver for them at the end of the preseason, you could see what they did to Jamison Crowder a couple of years ago. You know, they'll they'll force him to take a pay cut uh, when it's convenient for them and when they have leverage. It's the cold side of the business. At Greg Romano 9, question is, when Joe Douglas was hired, he mentioned how previous regimes tried to make splashy moves, and that's not what builds a great franchise. Does the Aaron Rodgers situation feel like a step in the old regime's direction? That's a really good question. And yes, quite frankly, it does. It is the ultimate splashy move, bringing in an Aaron Rodgers only two years after drafting Zach Wilson second overall. It's, uh, you know, Joe Douglas has kind of lived, you know, off these Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner picks, and they were great picks, and he deserves a lot of praise for those, but he deserves a lot of criticism for the Zach Wilson pick, which was has, has not worked out, and people tend to forget it. And so I think the Rodgers move could be, considered a desperation move by some I think it's a good move but and really what choice do they have do you want to go with Zach Wilson again he'll get them all fired they can't go with him again so yes it is a splashy move it does go against the grain for what he believes in but really they have no other choice next one from at Joe Esposito is it possible that the Jets move Zach Wilson on draft day I don't think so who'd be their backup uh, Tim Boyle he is not that good I don't even know if he will make the team as a third stringer. Um, so, no, I don't think who who's going to be your backup quarterback. You need a guy who can play. Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old. you got to have a legitimate backup. I will note, however, and I'm not 
saying this is a possibility, but the Rams only have one quarterback on their roster. And who's the Rams offensive coordinator? Mike LaFleur. Just put it out there. I'm not saying there's anything going on there, but I just found it interesting. And our last question uh, from at Spicy Jet Fuel. Will the Jets try to find their version of a Brock Purdy in this draft in the later rounds? Well, yeah, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago saying the Jets could draft a quarterback on day three. I think it probably is a, a good business move to make uh, just to see you got to put quarterbacks in the pipeline. That's the old Ron Wolf uh, philosophy, and I think Joe Douglas subscribes to that. A guy to watch is Aiden O'Connell, a three-year starter at Purdue. He's six foot three, so he's got good size. He's accurate. He's a quick processor. He'll be a day three pick. I know the Jets worked him out. So if he's there in the late rounds, you take a flyer. Why not? I mean, a year from now, you know, you see what you have. And look, the Brock Purdy situation is just—it's one in a thousand. You know, last pick in the draft, the guy comes in, leads him to a bunch of wins, playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, wins the starting job. I mean, it's just, it's a one in a thousand shot. But, you know, if you're a team that has major question marks as to your long-term future at quarterback, yeah, why not? You take a quarterback and then hope he doesn't turn into the next James Morgan. That's another story. But anyway, that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks to Matt Miller, ESPN Draft Analyst, for joining us and providing a lot of good intel on the upcoming draft. Enjoy it, folks. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a three-day extravaganza. Of course, the Aaron Rodgers situation will overshadow everything. I say a deal gets done maybe on Friday before the second round starts, and let's hope so. We've been on Rodgers' watch long enough. Let's end it. Let's get him in New York, and let's start to start the process. And I'd like to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting this all together. We'll talk to you soon on Flight Deck.